Today we are going to continue with our series of Conversations with Remarkable Minds. We like to bring you insights from individuals that probably you are not aware of. You will be. We're going to talk with a spiritual ecologist. In fact, he became an earth pilgrim, a vegetarian, and led a civil disobedience movement in efforts to restore humanity's sense of community. He is Shatish Kumar, and uh, he is one of the few people in the world who fully embraces the principles of Mahatma Gandhi to promote a spirituality opposed to war and ecological destruction. And at the age of nine, he renounced the world to become a wandering Jain monk, but dissuaded by his inner voice, at the age of 18, he left his ascetic life to embrace Gandhi's visions of land reform and global peace. Now, having been influenced by the great British philosopher Bertrand Russell, especially his anti-nuclear war philosophy, he undertook an 8,000-mile peace pilgrimage, having walked penniless from India to America to deliver packets of peace tea to the heads of governments of the four nuclear powers, the Soviet Union, France, UK, and the United States. He settled in the United Kingdom in 1973, and he's now editor of the prestigious magazine Resurgence which highlights many of our world's greatest thinkers and visionaries, and influenced by the Small is Beautiful movement of a Shoemaker, he has founded pioneering schools and colleges that introduce ecological sanity and spiritual values into their curricula. He has also been a hero for many of our progressive leaders, including Dennis Kucinich, who gave an honorary speech about him to the Congress. He's received two honorary doctorates from prominent British universities. He appears on BBC programs on ecology and lectures um, on referential ecology, holistic education, and voluntary simplicity. He has a book called No Destination. It's an extraordinary autobiography of a remarkable life in philosophy. Nice to have you with us today. Pleasure to be with you, and good to listen to your introduction about your radio program, so it is a pleasure to appear on it. Thank you. I, I used to have a friend uh, named Krishnamurti. Were you familiar with Krishna? Yes, he was also my friend. And uh, we did a series, I guess maybe about 10 one-hour interviews together, uh -huh. uh, and, uh, and he also was a person who believed in small is beautiful. That's right. And he... He lived a very ascetic life. He traveled a great deal. And when looking at your work, the two of you have a lot in common. And I, lot. the world has missed him. Yeah. And we're, like we're glad he you're still with renounced us. to be the head of a particular organization, religious order. Uh, and I renounced my religious order. And when he said that the truth is a pathless land, that resonated with me. And I also believe in the similar sort of approach that we need to be just pilgrims. And pilgrim, to be a pilgrim is not to get dogmatic, not to get fixed, not to get stuck in any one dogma or any one kind of ideology, but always remain open and move on to a new, fresh experience. So that's a very much an influence of Krishnamurti on my life. I think that both of you share something in common, and it was the uh, Russian 
gulag writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who said, when you've robbed a man of everything, he is no longer in your power. He is free again. Yeah. And I want to begin our journey today with that concept that, uh, and I, this is not just for people around the world, but I can speak with some authority as a, a person that integrates myself with many different levels of American society. And I would like your perspective. I'm going to, I'm going to lay out a canvas and then Keep quiet. Take all the time you need. My nature is to give more time to my guests to speak than any other radio program in America. But I'm just going to give you a a, a little more extended introduction to the theme, all right? Yes. Now, I would like for you to address how our global economic crisis is actually an opportunity to raise our ecological awareness and return to living a more simple and rewarding life— and also the relationship between ecological thinking and spirituality, where we in our society keep everything at cap-and-trade on carbons uh, units instead of saying, why can't we just change the nature of how we produce energy? We don't even have a spiritual mindset of how we approach ecological problems. Another thing is, I call it watching Katrina. You're familiar with the big... uh, a hurricane that hit the United States uh, several years ago. Yes. For a week before it hit, I kept uh, warning my audience, many of whom uh, in that area listen and lived in New Orleans, leave. You have an opportunity. It's going to hit. If it's a three, four, five, you're going to be devastated. Mm. And it was a five in the uh, Gulf, uh, and it veered at the last moment, but no one left. Mm. Well, we saw the devastation, and the devastation is still there. I was just down there. But then we have people in California, and we, we are being broadcast right now on KPFK out of Los Angeles, PFW out of Washington, NYE out of New York, and a lot of other stations. And right in the midst of being in a place that is not sustainable, mm. they will not move. <clears throat> they could be right by the ocean. They won't move. If a tsunami is coming, they could be where there's nothing but firewood everywhere, and they could lose their house by fire. They won't move. They're right on the San Andreas Fault, which we know is going to uh, uh, implode. They won't move. We have people who have refused to change in spite of the fact that not changing, not simplifying their life, not moving forward with their life is only going to imperil them. I would like for you to address what I call watching Katrina. In other words, we watch the disaster unfold before us as if we are helpless to in any way stop it. Mm. And then finally, you've written extensively on a topic that's dear to me, vegetarianism. Mm. Uh, And I believe that vegetarianism is not just about health, but a means to live non-violently and as an act of disobedience. Yeah. Because when I can walk by a McDonald's or a Burger King and say, you do not control me, and I will not support you, I'm not going to support you, the fat that's going into the artery, the sodium, uh, it's also an act of disobedience. Yeah. Because you don't see presidents in the United States or members of, with rare exception, members of Congress or heads of corporations, again, with rare exceptions, that look at food as a form of disobedience. Yeah. In other words, priding themselves and motivating others, and here's what I will not do because I'm a person of consciousness. Yeah. Even if I'm the only one, if none of my friends are, that's okay, that's mine. I would, I, w- 
I don't know if you're in alignment with me on that, but I would like for you to address that. And finally, this is just for the opening. Yeah. During a memorial lecture you gave at Wimbledon, you stated, quote, for many environmentalists, global warming has become the new hell that is brandished to terrify people into action. But if we are to make the changes that are needed to bring our relationship with the planet back into balance, then a new relationship with nature is required, one founded on the power of love rather than on the forces of fear. That's right. Okay. Well, first, why is focusing on fear aspects of environmental catastrophe less constructive than to reorient our consciousness and thinking about our relationship with the earth based on love? Mm. And finally, how would you describe your experience of a relationship to nature? And then from that relationship, how does it compel you to act and to live uh, your life? And all those are interconnected. So the journey is yours. Please share with us now. Now, um, we can take um, the last point you made and the first point you made. They are quite connected because watching Katrina, when people are warning about Katrina, they are giving a scenario of doom and gloom and fear. And when people are given that scenario, that makes people impotent or they get into a kind of numbness. Fear creates numbness. So if you had created a kind of spirit by which people are inspired to take positive action and that inspiration comes from the love of nature, love of people, love of communities, love of good values, then I think people will act. So, uh, and the reason people don't act, at this moment, there's a lot of media coverage about global warming. There's a lot of government leaders are talking about uh, climate change and how oil is running out and how resources are depleting and how our life is going to be difficult and water will run out and food will run out. Always fear, fear, fear. And that is causing a kind of numbness, and that numbness is causing a kind of impotence, and, and that is the causing where you get the phenomena of watching Katrina. So my solution to that problem is that this, the inspiration from within each and every human being and within each and every community, each and every town and each and every uh, state and each and every country has to come from inside that we are not only talking about uh, changing our lifestyle because of the fear of the doom and gloom and disaster, but we are changing our lifestyle because the kind of lifestyle we are going to changing and, and transforming is a good life in itself. And that message is never given uh, because um, out of fear, if you change your lifestyle, but then you are grudgingly doing it. But when you do it out of love and out of desire for elegant simplicity and voluntary simplicity, which to me is elegant, which means that uh, a new lifestyle which be joyful, delightful, and, and, a, and a build a kind of relationship with the natural world and relationship with the human community. So what we are lacking at this moment uh, in the media, 
from the government leaders, from the business leaders, is a, a message of pessimism and fear. And that is not going to move people to act. So if you and if I want people to move to act, we have to inspire a positive vision. And that positive vision is love of nature. So your next question also relates to it because nature we have seen as something out there. We don't think that we are nature. We think nature is there uh, like rivers and mountains and forests and animals and birds are nature. And we are here, human beings, as superior to nature. We are not nature. We are the masters of nature. We are the rulers of nature. And nature is there only for our consumption. So we can kill the animals as we like for our food. We can destroy the rainforest as we like because of our timber or, or fields uh, to, to produce more meat, or we can uh, pollute the, the rivers and the oceans to get more fish. So it's all for us, us, us. So fear combined with greed leads to the kind of society we have today. So my strategy, if you want to call it, my strategy is not to dwell in fear and, and, and a kind of telling people you are greedy and therefore don't do this, don't do that. But we, I want to inspire people from inside and say, when you love the sea, when you love the forest, when you love the rivers, when you love the animals, you will not destroy them. So that was, in a way, uh, the perennial wisdom of American Indian societies and, and a Buddhist and Taoist and so on. And I think that message is forgotten. So we need to return to that more positive, more optimistic, um, uh, and intrinsic value of nature and seeing that we are nature as much as nature out there. We are part of nature. And what we do to nature, we do to ourselves. So if we destroy nature, we are destroying ourselves because we are integral part of nature. That way, I think, uh, the watching Katrina phenomena will come uh, to a solution. Don't you think? Absolutely. I appreciated your insights. Now, but, but let me ask you to go a little further with that, because I, I see that there's a certain element of hypocrisy amongst many of our educators and leaders. Yeah. They tell us that our educational system mm. and even our religious institutions are there to inspire us, motivate us, and help us, mm. and yet they're never encouraging us to be disobedient to yeah. it or to look for. No, you are talking about education, and yes. education at this moment is very little in the world today. Um, uh, problems of the world today are mainly caused by educated people, so-called educated people. People who are creating global warming, climate change, nuclear weapons, wars, all the kind of uh, problems we face today are managed and, or even created by people who have been to Oxford, Cambridge in England, Harvard and Yale in the United States, and big, big universities of Tokyo or New Delhi or Moscow or Paris. So education is not a panacea. Education has caused more problems because the nuclear weapons are not created by uneducated peasants of Africa. And global warming is not created by 
uneducated women of India. They are created by highly educated people, but they are half educated. I was invited to speak at the London School of Economics, which is one of England's prestigious and well-known, famous university where young people come from all over the world to be trained in economics. And I asked them, you teach here economics, all right, but where is your department of ecology? And they said, we don't have one. I said, do, do you mean to say that you are teaching people economy without teaching ecology? Because ecology is made of oikos and logos. Oikos means our earth home, the planet home, how relationships work. Logos means knowledge. And economy, oikos and nomos. Nomos means management. So you are teaching your students, young people from all over the world, how to manage your home without knowing your home. Because ecology is to know your home, and economy is to manage your home. So half-educated is worse than uneducated, like half-baked bread. So our world problems today we face, many of them, or most of them, are created by half-educated people. So we have to bring a, a total transformation of our educational system where ecology and economy, and ecology and economy will also lead to ethics and, and morality and spirituality. Unless education is more holistic, education is really a double-edged sword, and it can destroy as much as it can build. And so um, education, I think we need to re-examine. Hmm. What do you think? I, I, would, I would be a little more pragmatic than you because I believe as an educator, I'm a professor at the university, that we do not, with rare exception, inspire our students to challenge our ideas. We. Yes. And therefore, they may end up knowing as an educated technocrat Yes. How to pass a test to get an A. Yes. But do they know about life? Wasn't it uh, Soren Kierkegaard who said life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards? Yes. Was it not also uh, Henri uh, Emile who said the man who has no inner life is the slave of his surroundings? That's right. So then look at the people who go from Harvard or, or, uh, or Cambridge who are very good at what they do because they mastered the limited skills, yeah. and now they sit as lonely, empty souls with no spiritual evolution in mansions that no one can come near. Yeah. What is the point of the exercise? And yet in That's our right. society today, we are virtually cultish mm. in the individuality that dominates just about every area and discipline. Mm. In the Western world, it's been a fundamental cause for the collapse of humanity's sense of community and connectedness. Yes, what are your thoughts about this, and I mean, what is the necessary awareness in order to restore the need that. for community? Because I feel that um, the individualism, we are individuals, but the word individual means indivisible. We are not separate. We are not disconnected as individuals. As It's a corrupted meaning of individual, meaning somebody, a unit, autonomous unit, separate, disconnected from the rest of the world or the community or, or the natural world. So 
individual must be indivisible. An individual um, does not exist separately. We had French philosopher René Descartes, and he came up with this idea of separation. Mind and matter were separated, and individual and community were separated. And corgito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. That is a kind of beginning of individualism uh, and separation from the natural world and separation from the community. So I would like to change that from I think, therefore I am, to you are, therefore I am. We are all connected. We are all related. Unless we see this web of life like a network, um, Indra's net, we call it in India, a network of, um, of nature and humans and animals and, 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 and the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars, and, and all life is interconnected. We are all connected and we are all related. And therefore, you are, therefore I am. The earth is, therefore I am. Uh, the forests are, therefore I am. My ancestors were, therefore I am. That message is forgotten when René Descartes' philosophy dominates, uh, his science dominates our educational system uh, around the world, particularly in the Europe and, and America. And we become so rational and so uh, intellectual at the expense of our, our spirituality and our, um, our, our emotions and our feelings. So education for me is only true education and holistic education if you can combine the head, the heart, and the hands. At the moment, we only uh, train people to think intellectualize, rationalize, but that's not all, and that's not enough. We need to have head and heart and feelings and hands to make things combined and integrated. So education needs quite a lot of new thinking and, and a, quite a lot of reforming so that we truly become holistic. And when, once we have that kind of um, relatedness in our consciousness, then we will not destroy uh, the planet which sustains us. We will not cut the branch upon which we sit. If our environment is destroyed, our oceans are polluted, our rainforests are gone, our, our biosphere is full of greenhouse gases, what will happen uh, to, to humanity? Uh, we are not going to eat, um, uh, eat computers. We are not going to feed ourselves with cars and, and televisions. We have to depend on the natural life and natural resources. So humanity, which manipulates uh, and, and genetically engineered seeds and, and, and a kind of uh, industrialized agriculture and animals in factory farms, this kind of, uh, this kind of technological um, future that we are building is not going to be sustainable and not going to be resilient. So. I'm very much working to create a new consciousness, uh, a new kind of education. And this is why I established Schumacher College in England, where we have people coming from all over the world to study and understand and, 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 and see the world in an interconnected, interrelated, interdependent way so that we move on from Cartesian dualism of individual against community and, and, uh, and mind against matter 
and and uh, and humans against nature. Well, I commend you for that. There was a very um, well-known Cardinal Newman. He was. Yes. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with him, and he yes. said that growth is the only evidence of life. And I, when I read that years ago, I said, no, no, I think it's just the opposite. I said, our mistake has been that we must always show that we're growing, reverting back to Homer's The Iliad, where you're looking at life as if there's a void, and therefore the quality of what you established in the void establishes the quality of your life. And that was carried on by Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and the esophagus and many others. And I'm thinking, no, there is no void in life. You just haven't been looking for what's there. Exactly. You, consciousness is there. And consciousness is what determines, at the end, the evidence of life. Those Absolutely. who have I mean, a deeper consciousness the, have a profound respect for life. consciousness uh, in the uh, dictionary, it's mutual thinking. Thinking together, awareness together, that's the kind of meaning of consciousness. And that togetherness is the lost, um, lost cause at this moment. We are always thinking me, me, me. And what I am saying and what uh, my magazine, which I edit, called Resurgence, we are saying through our magazine uh, to people that from this egocentric thought, uh, we have to move to ecocentric thought. You only need very small change from G to C, from ego to eco. When you move from egocentric thinking and worldview to ecocentric worldview, you are going away from individualistic, separational worldview to a more communitarian and relational worldview. And this is where um, we are not in the void. But we are in the celebration. We are in the, in the delight of life and, and a celebration of life and, and a joy of life rather than this domination and control and fear. Uh, and, and, and that fear leads to uh, ownership and possession and acquisition and consumerism because I may not have it tomorrow. And what am I going to do if I get old? So I have to kind of own and possess. So we, we, how our whole... Philosophy needs to be re-examined and re-explored so that we create a worldview where we can be at ease and we can, we can relax. And the universe is working in our favor and not against us. Why to fear? Why to fear? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, <laughs> you, you've, asked a you've asked a redundant question. Uh, let us go to another area because this okay. is this this to me separates out the illusion of living each day as if this day were an ideal. Yes, I can live this day as an ideal of life with consciousness, or I can live it in preparation for some future ideal. Yeah. And I believe that education today manifests a destiny no no different than the manifest destiny concept of the early colonialists they mm. never lived in the moment they were in they were never fully conscious of the moment they were in they were never able to self, be self aware of the power of the moment it was always for the future i see a lot of relationships doing the same thing now here's my issue yeah you mentioned about people should be going from the ego to the equal. You mentioned about how we should be sharing things. We should be living uh, as a collective world, not as this grossly separatist world. Exactly. But look at your own country, India. 
Yeah. It is it is massively racist. You have a class system, and the caste system in that class system relegates untouchables, with rare exception, one being the prime minister recently. But the vast majority throughout all history, including today, are relegated to not being accepted, where the Brahmins are considered accepted. You have massive po- uh, poverty on almost an unimaginable scale in the world, and yet you have tiny well, not tiny, but you have about 240 million upper middle class and about in the neighborhood of 3 million very wealthy people who live right in the middle of this, mm-hmm. yet you don't have clean water, you don't have food, you've farmed out even water, the Himalayas are, don't have the same snowpacks, you have 1.3 billion people are going to end up without water, mm-hmm. you have massive catastrophe and starvation awaiting. And so in that concept... That Mm. is the backdrop, and that is Mm. not what is in... in, um, I would like for you to look at that as a starting point and then hear your analysis of the reigning free market capitalist system of the mega banks and corporations that continue to steer the illusion that we call progress. Mm. Please critique for us the capitalist model from a spiritual perspective and also how a country that has so many wonderful 947 religions in India Mm. that I'm Mm. aware of, there's probably more, with more dialects than any other country in the world, including Africa, how so many people could be living at such disharmonic levels and so out of touch with each other, and yet it is the heart of so much that we can look at and say, wow. There is, um, I mean, the picture you have painted of India has certain truth, but there is other side to it. And the other side is that in a Hindu-majority country, India, our prime minister is a Sikh. In a a, a male-dominated India, we have an Italian Catholic woman as the head of the ruling party, Sonia Gandhi. And the president of India is a woman. And before her, the president of India was a Muslim. And as you said, um, hundreds of thousands of religions and languages and and, and traditions, still India um, comparatively can survive together. So uh, there is a mixed picture, and I agree with you, because uh, the the World Bank and the WTO and the IMF and the, the UN and all the world organizations, they are pressing every country, every single country, small or large, to become industrialized, to become capitalist, to become free market. And unless you follow this world trend, you are out. You are a pariah. So India has very, very little choice than to follow the, the European-American-led uh, parts of uh, um, a, a free capitalist, free market capitalist system. Now, this capitalist system is destroying the natural world because our aim is to make more money, more money, money. Capital means money. So we have, we have forgotten that um, true wealth is not money. Money is only a measure of wealth. Money is only a means to an end not an end in itself. True wealth is good land, um, healthy soil, uh, clean water, clean air, 
healthy animals, healthy humanity, healthy communities, uh, creativity, imagination, all these qualities are important. And money is only to oil the wheels. But we are going the other way around. We are putting animals can be sacrificed to make money. Humans can be sacrificed to make money. Use your intelligence and your creativity and imagination to make money. Making money has become the God, the new religion. And this is the, the, the world disease. It's like a cancer which is spreading all around the world. China, India, Japan, um, uh, South America, Africa. And if you don't follow this pattern, then you are a pariah. You are outside WTO. You are not sup getting support from the World Bank. You are MFI, M, um, um, uh, Monetary Fund, uh, MF, uh, IMF. Um, they will uh, put, under, uh, put pressure on you. So we are in a kind of... Um, capitalist system which is breaking down but still it has a great hold so um, only way to bring India and China and Africa and rest of the world um, back to a more decentralized more local economy based system is to dismantle some of the uh, world organizations such as WTO and World Bank and IMF because they are creating a kind of stranglehold. This globalization is creating global warming, and globalization is maintaining global poverty. India is poor because of capitalist system, I think. If you can allow Indians to look after themselves and, and, and fend for themselves and, and grow their food, they have lots of crafts, they have lots of art, they have lots of skills, in local areas, but everything is turned around money. So the problem is globalization and, and, and control of globalization on all these countries. And my work through Resurgence magazine and through Shimahar College is to remind people that the centralized, top-heavy um, sort of system, which is being controlled from top places, and then governments bring new rules and people become subservient to this money capitalist system has to change. But the answer is not socialism either. Because socialism also is state control. It is that not allow people to exercise their freedom in their local communities and protect nature, look after the environment. So for me, the answer is neither capitalism nor socialism and communism, but more a Gandhian approach, a more a kind of naturalism where nature is in the center and we do all our human activities to protect and enhance our natural environment. So our rivers are kept clean, our land is looked after, our forests are looked after, our human communities are looked after locally. So a Gandhian approach of nonviolent social order uh, where um, when there is an exploitation, then you can have a resistance and you can have a civil disobedience. This is where your idea of not eating meat and boycotting McDonald's is, is a wonderful example of civil disobedience because there you shed the fear and take courage in your heart and say, I'm not going to follow this world trend of globalized food market. I'm going to grow fresh food. I mean, I, do, I have a couple of acres here in England 
and and at this moment beautiful uh, early summer we have a strawberries galore and the broad beans and the carrots and all the sort of beans and the peas they are all coming coming in the garden and i can pick and cook and and enjoy the food so celebration of life cannot be imposed by wto and world bank and and un and, and the world governments it has to grow from the bottom up and and we have to we have to be rooted in the soil in our own local communities that is my recipe for a better world and that's what mahatma gandhi inspired me to work for i really appreciate these insights and i'm sure many people in this audience do as well and you're encouraging us in a progressive spiritual circle that we can change the paradigm shift in awareness will correct much of the course of human history and certainly will correct many of the excesses that some people in our society have allowed us to go in and so we're no longer adrift uh, and we are grounded i want to thank you for all the good work you do please give people a contact email address now um my um resurgence magazine is uh, www.resurgence.org this is my website so resurgence is r e s u r g e n c e .org www.resurgence.org and my own email is just satish@resurgence.org and so if people your listeners would like to contact me or Uh, want a, to see a copy of resurgence i'll be happy to send them and also schumacher college again www. schumacher college one word schumacher s c h u m a c h e r college schumacher college dot org dot uk so if you would like to any of your listeners would like to know more about schumacher college and and visit our website and maybe come and do a course here one week two weeks three weeks um uh, courses are available and and that way um we can build a, a more relational world where harmony and prosperity and peace prevail rather than this competitive conflict uh, dominating control oriented uh, world view that which is prevailing at this moment thank you and of course they can read your book no destination yes my guest today with conversations with remarkable minds has been shatish kumar thank you very much sir for being with us very welcome it's pleasure to be on your program